Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the boot camp yet again. Hope you're ready for the next episode as we jump into part do, part dose with my good friend, Dr. Casey Williams. Hard to believe. Somebody gave us those degrees, but yes. If you, if you would have met Casey and I 22 years ago and said, these guys. Most likely to become doctors in anything ministry oriented. Not on that list. Yeah. No, if if by doctor you meant other things like drug dealer, then maybe, but uh, no. <laughs> so, so excited to have Casey. We got to have him on for last week's episode to talk about pursuing health and the posture of partnership and replanting as they are beginning this partnership as a fostering church of a struggling church in their community. So one of the reasons I want to bring Casey on here, Bob, is Casey's doctorate is a missiology doctorate. And man, he speaks a lot of the same language that you and I do. He just says it with $20 words. And one of the things that Bob and I often tell churches and pastors is if you want to pursue being a healthy church again, then you have to start thinking like a missionary again. Because most likely, the beginning of your church started as a missional effort, right? That chances are there were a group of people who saw a gospel need in a community, and so they sacrificed financially, they sacrificed their time, Absolutely. they dedicated themselves to being missionaries in that community. And then over time, we become more focused on our members than on the mission. And I wanted to bring Casey on to talk about what does it look like, not only just to be a missionary, but one of the things that we see a lot is a lot of times one of the key contributing factors to a church's decline in death is a transitioning community demographically, right? So the original group of people who started that church, it was probably all the same kind of people. And so it made sense for them to plant a church that reached that kind of people. But sociologically, there's been so many shifts in our country over the last 50 or 60 years that there are fewer and fewer homogenous communities that all look exactly the same. And those communities have changed so much, but then the missionary mindset wasn't there. And so it's still built and designed for that original group of people that started the church. And so specifically, we're going to dive in today on what does it mean to be a mission-minded church in a multi-ethnic community? Bob, what comes to your mind of the challenges and the struggles and the relevance of that discussion? Yeah, super, super important discussion because most of the churches that we deal with in terms of replanting and revitalizing, you're dealing with a congregation that has, like you mentioned at one time, they were part of a missional effort that was successful, but something happened along the way and it became unsuccessful. And over time, their connection with the community and their composition, the composition of that body looks completely different than the community the church resides in. And sometimes they're even commuters and they come in. So one of the questions we got a couple of weeks ago from a, of a young guy who was replanting was like, man, how do I mobilize these senior adults to reach their community? Right. And so well, the first thought we have typically is, well, let's just do something like let's try to have an outreach, right? 
Well, last time I checked, you probably couldn't run like a let's get the inflatable games and the cotton candy machine and all that kind of stuff with senior adults. Like it just it's not going to work. <laughs> so I think most of the time we start with what can we do? And I think, you know, we were talking preliminarily before we started the, the podcast. Casey gives us a grid, I think, to think through that's important. So I think we should segue to him. And if we're going to start, man, where do we start? Like, what's the sequence? And then what are the questions we ask? And what are the important thoughts that we need to think as we move through this? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things we talked about even the last time we were on with you guys was really this emphasis of church health over church growth. And I think that first and foremost, we've got to redefine what a church is. I got a dear brother who said something about, you know, he was working on his mission statement of his church and He's like, you know, we want to be a multi-generational, multi-ethnic. Da, da, da. I was like, well, why don't you just call it a church? Because <laughs> a church is those things, right? Like, why do you have to put qualifiers on it? Um, just a disciple-making church. Well, that's called a church, right? And so I think we just have to kind of get back to, like, what is our scriptural-supported doctrines that we believe that the church is, right? And so first and foremost, it starts there, but then it then it goes, begins to move itself out to that missiological piece. Like, okay, so then where has God uniquely put our church, right? Because you're right, Jimbo. I mean, like our church, my church that I serve was planted just a few years ago in 1911. And, you know, it, it you know, replanted itself. It was, a, it was a Bible study expression to reach young children in a community that was under reach. It was nine blocks from the church that planted it. But at that time, nobody was driving. Nobody had cars. And so there was a church expression on that corner. Well, in the 50s, they replanted themselves into this community, which had no evangelical expression. And there was one car. Fort Jackson was moving a ton of people in because of the war. And so there was just a huge development and there was no churches. So they replanted. So the truth is, is like, but it has changed. They, they say that our community is on its third renaissance. Hmm. Because it's turned over now three times in the last 60, 70 years. But this community is substantially diverse. So me coming to this community, like the national statistic is like 76% of the church. This is based off the 2015 census. But the 76% of the nation is predominantly Anglo. Well, in our community, it's 46%. So the truth is, and specifically in a seven-mile radius of my church, is 40%. So we're 40% Anglo, 40% African-American, then 20% other, predominantly Hispanic and Asian. So the truth is like, okay, well, then how do we begin to reach the you can't reach your neighbors if you don't know your neighbors. And so that's a missiological posture that every pastor and every Christian should take. Like, who do you see at the grocery store? Who do you see at your schools? Who do you see? Who are you building relationships with? How do you know love your neighbors? And then it goes into methodology. Like if you don't have a theological conviction and a missiological awareness, then you're never going to have, then your methodology doesn't really matter. But too many people lead with methodology. They, they, they lead with, hey, what programs and what performances can we provide to a community that will get people to come into our building instead of trying to mobilize our people to get out of our building? One of the things that you talked about in the last episode was, and I loved it, it was something along the lines of the church that you're partnering with. They were saying, man, how long? Like, how long is this going to take for this sucker turns around? And you said, well, how fast does an oak tree grow, right? So let's just be realistic here. How, what is the process just walk us through to take a, a declined and dying congregation filled with primarily senior adults and maybe a, a couple of young folks who really want to start reaching their community. If, if we're talking about theology, missiology, and then methodology, can you just kind of walk us through what does that look like? If you're taking that, that church that's so declined, how would you move them forward in those steps? Yeah, first and foremost, again, I would 
I would unquestionably teach God's word, right? Because if you're teaching God's word, you're going to talk about consistent tensions and barriers. I mean, you you will not find just a, any. I mean, you will not find race much in the scripture, but you will find ethnoi substantially amount. Like you will find that consistently throughout Genesis chapter one, Genesis ten, Acts chapter seventeen, Revelation seven, right? So you could find substantial. Like if you don't want to talk about ethnicity, then don't you can't preach a scripture. So preach a scripture. Talk about how this actualizes the application in people's lives. But then you, but then you really like you know every. I mean to go back to like the origination of like the Catholic Church, like the Universal Church, not the Roman Catholic Church, but the Catholic Church. When they went into a community, they set up three things. They set up a school, an orphanage, and a hospital. And when they did that, they served a community, and in doing so, they began, and that's what they called a mission. And that was the mission of the church. And so the mission of the church was a holistic approach with a theological conviction. And so so I would say, like, start to do the things that you can do. Like, go to the schools and begin to do Bible, you know, you can do Bible clubs, but just do reading clubs. Like, go and invest in the children. I mean, if you see that there's an illiteracy issue in the schools, then go and senior adults have time on their schedule that they can go into a school and be a buddy reader, right? They can go to the hospital and and just be prayer warriors for people in the hospital. Now, of course, COVID changed a lot of that. But even then, like, just go care for your neighborhood. Just prayer walk your neighborhood and build relationships. We think it's this programatized thing, but it really isn't. It's just be the church, and the church has always been a part of, you know, this is why the, you know, when we look at Acts, there was no need among them because the church was caring for and praying and doing the work of both evangelism, but also the body of Christ that cares for its community. So I think if you really kind of shape it that way, personally, like teach your people that this is not some complex you know, you've got to be an anthropologist to tackle this world, the sociological, you know, phenom. You just got to be a good believer in Jesus who loves their neighbors. And you'd be surprised at how the Lord continues to use those seeds of, because 99% of the people you invite to church will come with somebody. So like if they'll just, and if the people that they're inviting are not like them (laughs) and they're coming into an environment that faithfully consistently teaches that praise God for the kingdom orientation of the body, then they're going to feel welcomed as well. And what we've noticed over time, and then of course with leadership uh, that's serving in our in our church, that the people just feel more comfortable coming when they know that they're loved and cared for and have opportunities to even lead. Yeah, one of the things that was brought up at the MI Replanter Conference we had in New Orleans, we had a question and answer panel for a little while, and our other missiologist buddy, Double Doc, was there with his wife, and he pastors down in Key West, Florida, and one of the questions was, in a diverse community, and, and diversity can be beyond ethnicity, diversity is all sorts of things, right? In a diverse community, how do you how do you help a church embrace that diversity in a missional way? And it was actually Josh's wife, Darlene, had such a great answer. She said, the diversity begins at your dinner table. Mm-hmm. She said, they as a family have two weekly rhythms. One, they have a believer that they know over for dinner, for edification and fellowship. Every week they have a believer in their family, and then every week they have a non-believer in their family over to dinner for for fellowship and relationship. And so she said, if it starts there, and you begin those diverse relationships through actual 
relationships, right? And so I, I appreciate what you're saying there. Even uh, so, I was having a conversation recently at our church that we go to, Mandarin Baptist Church, with the missions team about. I've been tasked with kind of rebuilding our missions team for our church. There was a lot of kind of conversation about what that would mean and what are we trying to do. And and so there's people with seats at the table because they lead our mission trips to Guatemala or they are our representative for for the elementary school or things like that. And I just and so I told him, I said, look, your your seat at the table was bought with your missional involvement, but your job here is not to champion your area. Our our win here is not to get 75 people more at at this table. Our win is to get the majority of our church to take a missional step towards being a missionary. And if that means that their first step is through your partnership with elementary school or on a mission trip to Guatemala or wherever it is, it's a step. And the the goal is really for this to not be a program, but for it to be them being a missionary where they live and loving their neighbors and caring for their people that are in their lives in a in a way that reflects the gospel clearly. You said it so well that we often start with the methodology, the strategy, and we you know, we push getting demographic reports, and I do think that they're helpful, but we also push getting your demographic report from Josh Dreyer so that he can help you understand it. Because I think what happens a lot of times, I know so many guys that will call some area, they'll call whoever they're going to call to get a demographic report, and they'll get this like 27-page report with- All these color-coded All these color-coded data. Diamonds and circles. And they're just like, cool. Right. <laughs> What, I mean, what do I, where's my Nancy Drew decoder ring? Right. What do I, what do I do with this? Like, this is cool. I guess we have some episodes with Josh. We're talking about how to understand that, but let's just say, so Casey, you, we've got a, a listener who they get their demographic report and it shows that they've got, uh, they don't even have a predominant like you, like there's not even one predominant, you know, there's not one that's over 50%. What steps would you have to encourage them to, to begin that process of their church being a missional church and them being a missional pastor? You know, there's, there really is, I, 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 I want to share, like Paul Heber, the Transformer Worldviews, one of the best anthropologists, Christian believers out there who lived. But he says that an attitude and practice of accepting people of all ethnic class and national origins is equal and fully participating within the body of Christ is one model of multi-ethnic, but the other part is like the manifestation of it. And like actually seeing it in there, I think that first and foremost, it, it goes back to theology and it goes back to missiology. Like you've got to be one, you've got to know what you believe and understand that your belief is inclusive of all people. But then your missiology is like, but you also got to know who your neighbor is, you know, and I, I agree wholeheartedly. Like you'll never have a multi-ethnic church if you don't have a multi-ethnic table, you know, dinner table. But also like, you know, so whenever the, the Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd stuff took place a couple of years ago, you know, I was at the state house with a couple of brothers in, in the city and they were all kind of like, you know, a lot of pastors began to post stuff on their social media and, you know, oh, we stand out against this. And, 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 and the truth be told is like some, some of the African-American brothers and their friends of mine, they said, I'm just glad these guys showed up to the conversation finally. But the difference was, is I didn't post something on my social media. I called my friends. Like I messaged my friends, right? I didn't have to go and prove to anybody that I was for this convictional belief that like all people are created in the image of God and no person like can take life. But the difference is, is that I didn't have to make a PR statement. I got to use relational equity. And so that's why I think that the problem is just start to build relationships, right? Like just start And my, the chair of my dissertation, Dr. Uh, Enoch Wan, 
like he talks about the relational paradigm and he talks about, you know, we, we have this horizontal relation, this vertical relationship with us and God that is reconciled. But then it also, there's this horizontal piece that that reconciliation now begins to actualize itself in how we care and live life with other people. So it's a both and, not an either or. And if we have a right relationship with God, then it should drive us to have a right relationship with others. And then again, our methodology piece, like it's, it's not program, it's relationship, right? It's, it's not, hey, you could do these three things. It's like, just love your neighbors and know your neighbors and not see your neighbors like, oh, see, I have, I have diverse friends. See, I'm not whatever. But so great, great step forward like for this, like we, so we have a, um, we have four to 6,000 Vietnamese in our community and we have zero, zero gospel preaching Vietnamese churches in our city, four to 6,000. So the, when I found out, I said, well, where are they located? They said, within like eight miles of your church. And I was like, well, then we need to plant a Vietnamese church, right? We need to help with that process. So what, I, what did I do? Like, well, I don't speak Vietnamese, but I eat Vietnamese. And so like I started going to the Vietnamese restaurant and started building relationships with the Vietnamese people. And so we have a church planter who were waiting for his visa to get approved. But because I'm a faithful at that restaurant and uh, your podcast podcast audience can't tell how much of a foodie I am, but I am. And uh, <laughs> the truth is like they've already said, as soon as your planter gets here, Pastor Casey, you tell us and we'll open every door up for the Vietnamese population to meet him. So did I have a program at my church? No. Did I have like Vietnamese celebration Sunday where we wave the flag? No. What did I do? I just built relationships and started to love on the community and was kind. I tipped well, you know, but I just started. And so what we've tried to do is say, hey, do that, right? And when we shared that with our church, we had people at our church weep because one of them said, my goddaughter and godson are Vietnamese. My coworker is Vietnamese and I had and I've been praying. They're not Christian. I've been praying that someday God would open up an opportunity for them to hear the gospel in their language. And so now that couple wants to be a part of this Vietnamese congregation, you know, and they say, now we're also seeing an opportunity for a Spanish speaking church. So I'm building a relationship with the Spanish, this non-believer. She owns this restaurant right down the corner from us. And she's already said, well, listen, pastor, like, you know, I don't believe in Jesus, but as, as soon as your pastor comes here, let me know and we'll help him. I'll do whatever I can to help you. And she's not even a believer. But if it's just the pastor's responsibility, then it's going to it's gonna thrive and die mm. on the pastor's energy. Yeah. But if you don't embody this into your people, and I challenge my people to do that, and I, you have to pour, and which goes back to discipleship, which means you've got to teach theology and missiology, because that's, that's what true discipleship is. So that's kind of a, a circle back to something that we talked about before. How long does it take, right? How And the critical aspect of it is you have to embody it. You have to disciple others, et cetera. So let's say somebody's putting that work in and they're doing that. From your experience, what are some of the the wins or celebration points where you've seen like, oh, man, this person in our church gets it. Like, oh, this is oh Now they're starting to to get it. Like, do you have a couple of stories that you could share with us that, man, you, you say, man, these are some folks who, who got it and they're doing it. I think of a, a group of, of senior adults in our church 
that are, they, they do a Christian evangelism fellowship, good news club. And one of the schools that we, one of the schools that we serve is predominantly an African-American school. And they just go in there and they, you know, kids sign up and are part of it. Great ministry. But they started loving on this, these, these little kids and share the gospel. One of the, one of the girls came to, to salvation uh, through good news club. So then they were like, well, you know, we would love to share with you about it. Church is just so they invited it to our church, and uh, this couple's actually this the children are Nigerian, and so now I got to baptize her, and then now the whole family's at our church, and the grand even the grandparents when they come from Nigeria come to our church, and they're like, oh, we love your church so much, so you know, so they, you know, that was just a, a beautiful picture. These little gray haired senior adults who went out and just loved on the community, and then in turn the community saw the church's love for them and wanted to see what that church was about. And so now we're reaching the nations, right? Just by reaching our neighborhood and just by reaching our schools. So that, that would be one. Another one would be really this, this partnership church that we're working with. They are in a 73% diverse community. So when they moved out to that community, it was probably 90 to 95% uh, Anglo. And now they're 73% minority, and so only 27% Anglo. Well, they know now. I mean, they've become more convinced, like, hey, if we don't look like our community, then we're not going to continue to exist. So the replanting pastor that we actually placed there with their full support is an African-American pastor. So the, the, the first ever pastor, African-American pastor, first ever pastor of color, to serve in that church is their replanting pastor and that their entire leadership team is completely supportive of it. And, you know, I remember in the town hall, one of the ladies was like, Hey, we want to reach our community. Our community doesn't look like us. Is there any hopes that, you know, some of the leadership that y'all might bring might look like the community. And I was like, I couldn't say anything at that point because we're still in the interview process, but I was like, prayerfully, you know, like our hope and prayer would be, that's the case. And praise God, this this these leaders and, and average age of that leadership was like 65, 70. You know, these 75-year-old men who were like, yes, we want a, because we told them we weren't hiring a, a African-American pastor. We were hiring a pastor who is fully equipped to teach God's word and shepherd your people and 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 will help you reach disciple your your members and decide and, and outreach to your community. And if he's black, if he's white, if he's Latino, it doesn't matter. As long as he's a faithful pastor who meets the qualifications of First Timothy chapter three and Titus chapter one, then we are you open to that? And they said yes. And then we introduced him to and they said yes. And now the church is moving forward in a historic way. So those are just a couple of stories that I think it starts with relationship again. You know, I think that's the key piece. Like I know I've talked to a lot, I've done some consultation with churches of like, hey, we want to hire somebody of color. And I'm like, well, is your lay team, is your lay leaders, is your greeters, are they even there? You know, well then stop trying to hire diversity because that's not, that's not actual kingdom orientation. That's just professionalism. And that's not true posture of the church. So one of the churches I've been working with recently we were in a coaching session working on their next church revitalization renewal pathway, and the Spanish pastor of their Spanish campus or church was there, and he said, when this church started 65 years ago, you raised funds to send people to the nations. Now, 
the nations are your neighbors and we can reach the nations by reaching our neighbors. And so we can, we can fulfill the great commission of all nations without a passport. And that's one of the great things I know for a lot of guys, all the demographic shifts, I mean, have had a hard impact on the health and attendance of a lot of churches. And so it, we can be quick to bemoan it, but a missionary mindset says, no, this is, this is the, where God called us, right? And that, as Sam Rayner says, our address is not an accident. This is, we're here. We're, we're right here, and this is our mission. So just for our final kind of thought here, Casey, so even for that pastor that I met with, I'm thinking of Jess Motes at Terry Parker Baptist Church, and he's got a, a community that's changed a lot. Young guy, very teachable, great guy, showing wisdom and humility beyond his years. So he has a lot more hope than you and I at his age than we did. What resources would you say, hey, if a guy says, hey, I, I want to grow in this area, I want to be a missional pastor, I want to I want to love my community well and know how to do this. I want to I want to marry the theology, the missiology, and the methodology all in the right order. What are a couple of resources you would suggest for a guy like that? Yeah, I think I think you hit on something. I want to just before I get to that. I, I I think we've got to we've really got to disciple our people. To understand that missions is not where we go; it's who we are. Right? It's really like we are missional people. We are great commission people. And I do think that as we watch, they call it globalization or globalization that's occurring inside of our communities. You know, the, the growing rate of diversity in our own communities and the nationalities that are growing in our communities, like I talked about the Vietnamese population, for example. That's a completely, uh, there's there's complete demographic group that is unreached with the gospel who are literally living in my neighborhood, you know. So I, I would say that I'll, I'll share a quote and then I'll share some resources. So Tony Kim says that all churches say they want diversity, but few are willing to risk what they have built for the sake of being more inclusive. Embracing and empowering another culture means a lot of change, and unfortunately, too many churches are risk averse, and that's the that's the problem when we allow for methodology to drive the church. That's a poor engine. So I would say like some great resources that people should look into. I think Gary McIntosh and Alec McMahon's book, "Being the Church in a Multi-Ethnic Community," is probably one of my top because it talks about the value of both homogenous and multi-ethnic churches. Some of them want to pit them against each other, but historically God has used homogenous churches. And let's, let's talk about the Vietnamese church, for example. We need a homogenous Vietnamese church. We need it. Like you can't just say, and, and honestly, even in the African-American culture, like we need strong Bible preaching African-American churches because that's going to reach a, a demographic that my church is never going to reach. So there's a value of both, and they want to pit up against each other. I think McMahon and uh, McIntosh do a great job of kind of walking that through. I, I'm a big fan of George Yancey. He's releasing a new book here, comes recently in the next few weeks. So I would encourage you to check out his book, Transcultural Gospel by uh, Edie Burns. And then he's also come out with another book called Ancient Gospel, Brave New World is a great one. Cultural Intelligence by David Livermore. Cultural Intelligence by Daryl Bach. For God So Love the World by Walter Strickland. There's, I mean, there's so many resources. I can't, I can't say anything about multi-ethnic church and not talk about Mark Demas. I'm a part of their fellowship at the Mosaic Global Network. And so they are a tremendous resource when it comes to this. And Mark DeMoz is a real deal. I love him. He's a good friend. So I would definitely encourage anything that they're putting out. They work with a lot. And, and I think another thing about kingdom mindedness is 
Also understand that not everybody's going to be in your tribe, right? Like, again, if you have a bigger picture of the kingdom, then understand that everybody's not going to be a part of your ilk and your tribe. And there's some things that we can hold to convictionally. But I promise you in in sub-Saharan Africa, where I was just six months ago, there's not a substantial Southern Baptist movement, right? But I'll tell you what is happening, a tremendous gospel movement, right? And so I think that you have to be willing to listen to people who aren't of your group and of your tribe. And there may be things that you disagree with, but eat the meat and spit out the bone, man. That's the only reason I got as big as I got. I know how to do that. So, but that's part of being part kingdom minded, that the thumb is not the foot and the foot is not the ear, but we all need each other. And so, yeah, so I, yeah, I could talk about this forever. Man, thanks for coming on. It's so good to, to have you on here and introduce you to our audience. And I'm sure we'll have you on again. Yeah, praise God. Thanks, God. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.